welcome to the Diverse Economy is for Youth podcast. As part of the Dice Collective, our unique podcast connects scholars and leaders in feminist political economies to youth who envision an alternative world that treats them as people instead of as profits. Inspired by the Kumbayi River Collective by African-American women in the 1970s, we invite you to listen along with an open mind and a hopeful heart. I'm your host, Serena Pador, at the University of Toronto Scarborough. Welcome back, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Diverse Economies for Youth podcast. We've got a great conversation in store for you today with Dr. Kenyon Jewey, who will lead us through today's episode, Letting African Women Define Ubuntu in the Market. Dr. Kenyon Jewey is a Kenyan author, scholar, and volunteer community organizer. Her personal and professional experience with the intersections of feminism, urbanization, and economic informality have led her to relentlessly advocate for our humanity in a system of overconsumerism and exploitation. Dr. Kenyon Dewey holds a PhD in geography from the University of Cambridge. She's been a visiting scholar at the International Development Centre at the UK's Open University and at the United Nations Research Institute for Social Development. She's had articles published for the International Journal of Entrepreneurship and Small Business, the African Studies Review, among many more. Her poetically written articles and books detail the beauty, drive, and value of African women, African markets, and African philosophies. Hello, Dr. Kenyon Jewey. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for the introduction. I'm happy to be here. I know you're the perfect person for this conversation. So we're going to center around the main idea of Ubuntu and the people and spaces that use it and why. So some of our audience may have heard the word Ubuntu being used in various different uh, industries and sectors like marketing and business. I think if you actually look up the word Ubuntu, a software uh, program comes up. So it's a word that's being used in many different contexts and sometimes without uh, fully acknowledging where the word comes from. Luckily, we have you here with us to clear this up. So what would you say that Ubuntu means? Ubuntu is um, terminology that originates from South Africa among the Bantu communities. It is a combination of Ntu, meaning human being and it is used to describe the relationship between people how people share in reciprocity how they mourn together how they celebrate together how they work together and how in the words of um, the late archbishop desmond tutu they are inextricably connected to each other. Most of the Bantu communities have this terminology and it is used in different ways. For example, in, uh, in my Gekoyo community in central Kenya, we say Omodo, meaning being human. Um, in Swahili, it is Utu, meaning human. Then among others use the term bodo. So it's a widely used terminology. John S. Beatty tried to 
to curate the terminology and he expressed it in his book, African Philosophy and Religion as I am because you are and because you are, therefore I am. And I'll say that it's a communitarian philosophy and it is not about socialism. It combines individual agency with community agency. You work as a community to build individual agency. And my joy is your joy and your sorrow is my sorrow. It's about shared and reciprocal relationships. I'm sure people pick it up and use it in different ways, but the fundamentals are about sharing in responsibility, take being your sister's keeper or being your brother's keeper. I'll also explain the term Utu. Utu is humanness, people living and working in dignity. It's about being conscientious and having the radical courage and determination to achieve good. It also means the ability to thrive and flourish, caring and being respectful, sharing joy and peace, building relationships between people of the same family, blood, and language. Thank you, Dr. Kenyon Jui. That was so well explained and beautiful. I didn't know so much of that. And like you said, Ubuntu is a philosophy that is about all of us, for all of us, because regardless of anything else, the number one bottom line thing that we all share is humanity. So if we think about Ubuntu when it's being applied in the Western context of market systems, it looks a lot different than African market systems that are built on Ubuntu. Can you speak to that difference? How is Ubuntu being applied differently in Western context versus African context? Ubuntu in the West, is seen in different ways. There is things like corporate social responsibility, there is philanthropy, there is charities and non-profits which do human activities helping those who have not. It's also seen in cooperatives like in the, the case of uh, Jessica Gordon's work it's also about community economies, like in Gibson and Graham's work. It's also about credit unions and uh, group economies as documented by W.E. Du Bois or Du Bois, who observed group economies in the region of Durham in Carolina. So there are sort of... Um, Western and uh, Karine Hossein's observation of Roscas. So there's different sorts of um, Ubuntu activity, uh, shared relationships that exist in the West. But in the African context, you know whom you are dealing with. 
You are not dealing with helpless people. For example, when philanthropy is applied in the West, you are helping helpless people. But in, uh, in the African context, you are working together to build each other shoulder by shoulder to share and work together. It's about community building. I don't think the, the, the corporate social responsibility builds communities. It, wants, it creates a dependency of people to keep on depending on others. But in Ubuntu, when you share relationships, you share work, and then you build each other. When you pull resources, when you pull money to, to, to build a kitty, that kitty will be shared, and it will build the agency of an individual and they'll be able to buy property or they'll be able to buy utensils. It's also created to meet emergencies. For example, when you have um, death in the family, family members and friends gather together and pull resources to have to share in grief. They come to mourn with you, not only to pray, but also to help with the resources. It's also seen in the payment of bride price, in graduations, and joint investment. So people work as a community to try and do these things together. This kind of things is usually found among the ordinary people working in the informal economy markets or in the peripheries of the city, what I call operating in the margins. I discovered this one time. I was trying to find out whether there is collective efficiency in Kenya in a project funded by the IDS Sussex. And then I went to a market and found a group of women who are packaging rice. And in the market, I met my classmate, my schoolmate in high school. And she's the one who explained how these women come together to brad the rice, to clean the rice, to help each other transport the rice, set prices, and then set rules that govern them. And in so doing, they are able to sell their products uh, using, to increase the scale of their marketability of their product. So from a point of weakness, they build each other and sell their products. And then this thing, I also found it I found it among some dairy farmers in a place called Gedongori in Kiambu. Each one has one cow or two cows. To increase the marketability of their product, they formed a cooperative where they could pull the milk, trade with the milk as a group. And when they pull the money, the money is later loaned to the individuals 
at interest rates lower than the banks. Then in the neighborhood where I live, we have a, a, a group, a chama, we call them chama, which is called Nyahururu Taveta Women Group. And this group, we contribute $10 a day, a month, and we pull that money together for welfare and joint investment. At the moment, we have um, allow we have uh, accumulated around five million Kenyan shillings, and we have um, which is around thirty-seven thousand dollars. And this money we use it to buy plots. Then we sell the plot of land and then share the dividends at the end of the year. So in this case, we build each other agency. We have different types of jobs that we do, but as a community, we have decided to be sharing and doing this together as a... In your work, you use the term empowerment, but in my work, I don't use the term empowerment because it means control and domination of others and over of each other. The goal of Ubuntu is to thrive and flourish sustainably. Thrive as a person, thrive as a household or a community. And you thrive shoulder by shoulder. So in this driving process, you don't empower an individual. When you empower an individual, you give them power over the others. But in the case where you are sharing in reciprocal relationships, you build each other. And we say in Swahili, beggar kwa beggar. And when safari come, the mobile trans, um, mobile telephone transfer entered the market, their signature tune was to shikane beggar kwa beggar to work together. So it meant we lift each other shoulder by shoulder to build our company. So it's people know about that. If you work beggar kwa beggar, you build your company. That is if you build shoulder by shoulder, you build your company. Okay, I see, I see. From what I've read of your your brilliant, your fantastic work, Dr. Kenyon Jui, it seems like much of African urbanization is aiming to reclaim its future with its own frame of development. And at the center of this development are countless African women who want to create that their own future, their community's future on their terms, these terms that you've just described. And how the West has developed is almost entirely based on these individualistic, unsustainable ideals that end up harming our communities and our environment. 
for those of you listening who know a little bit about world history or European history, you might have heard of the Great Transformation. This was when the market economy was really taking off in Europe. And even all these decades later, it's seen as the gold standard that a continent or an area or a nation should achieve to be quote unquote developed. And ironically, we've seen a lot of problems arising in the world as a result of chasing development in such a linear, destructive fashion. The climate crisis is just one. So for the world to maintain the notion that development must always occur along this Western frame in order to be adequate, it's just far too narrow minded. Ubuntu has been used by African communities to allow them to thrive ethically, sustainably, according to their own values, including the the value of Ubuntu. Can you tell us a little bit more about exactly how this works? How does Ubuntu guide African communities and especially the women within them? We want to build high-rise buildings. We want expressways. We want to have working health systems we want to work we want democracy and all that but you find that when people can't achieve these things they turn to their past and use it because the way the women started with with the chama as i started as they started it was during after the structural adjustments when they couldn't afford even utensils. So they started congregating money to buy each other utensils in the house. They could buy each other cups, serving bowls, cooking pots, and then they moved to buying foods in bulk so that they can share out. They moved off to 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 then contributing more money, they realized that they could make joint investments. They realized that they could could even go for holidays together and all that. So they realized that uh, they can use things that were being done in the past and articulate them to the present to try and enter the neoliberal market, which was excluding them. So they they have tried to to use these things to enter the past and live together. So like the neighborhood association I was talking about, when the neighborhood was being formed, people were developing their own homes. They didn't have water, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have sewers. So what they did was to organize themselves into groups so that they could supply themselves with water, so that they could supply themselves with electricity and security. So these things were being done in the past where people used to go and work on one farm and they also used to gift each other. So they tried to carry these traditions to the city. And according to um, Caroline Hussein, we have also seen the Roscas being brought to America and Canada by migrant women as ways of supporting each other. So this in this case, um, and I remember I read a book about 
articulating indigeneity to neoliberalism. Communities from, I don't remember the other, but there's a book like that where people have been articulating indigeneity into neoliberalism and bringing things of the past into the present, the way they did it. Even the hairstyles, the dance styles, the play, they, they are bringing them in, into it. So women play an important role because they have the culture with them. Beautifully said, Dr. Kenyon Jui. I love the way you spoke on how we can turn to our past and and build on them in the future and the way that this supports us is just so unifying as a community that's such a beautiful thing so ubuntu is being used as a philosophy and a tool that it is to act as a foundation for communities and its members to thrive and heal with it's this powerful reminder that grounds us in what we really are we aren't just workers we're not just business people we're not just consumers we're human and we can't forget that the most empowering and beautiful experience of being human lies in treating each other with that humanity. Let us not forget where this notion of humanity towards others comes from and the people who voice Ubuntu tirelessly against the noise of the exploitative system of capitalism. Why is it important to let African women voice and amplify the African philosophy of Ubuntu instead of letting the mainstream control its narrative? I think African women have an important role to play in in amplifying the voice of Ubuntu because they live it, they practice it every day. It's in it's they live it, they practice, they practice it every day in their homes. And because of their numbers and the solidarity they have. You find that uh, even they are the ones who make churches survive. For example, most of the leading churches in Kenya have what the, the women groups like the Catholic Church has what they call the Catholic Women Association, which brings all the Catholic women who wish to enroll together and they share, they pray, they do things together. The Presbyterian Church has the Women's Guild, which again brings women of the Presbyterian Church together and teaches them and educates them and encourages them to be women. Then the Anglican Church has the what they call the Mother's Union. All these things have in a way contributed to the preservation of, of the culture in women. And women have their own small, small groups in, in which they form every day 
to support each other in 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 different way and in this way they are able to 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 bring up their children in difficult circumstances they are able to to work in, diff in difficult circumstances if you have seen a, a, a typical african market there are no seats they are not paved there are no toilets it's a difficult environment and for these women to survive they have to have each other to support each other in a way that they will live you find that they also leave their children behind they have to convince each other that their children are safe they have to tell stories to each other so that they can encourage each other and different narratives. So in this way, the women drive the narrative of Ubuntu, although it's not acknowledged by the mainstream. The mainstream call it the economies of affection, as what Goran Hayden calls it. And he says, for progress to take place, economies of affection have to be done with. It's called the informal economy, which is unregulated, without form, without structure, but the women have kept it as a tradition. Right. I think that's a beautiful thing and a very uplifting thing to see Black women, African women coming together when they need to support each other, when they need to take care of their families, of themselves. Uh, and it's important that we see that they are speaking their message, that Black women are being heard when they speak. Oftentimes, when others might be discussing ideas like Ubuntu or, or anything, or maybe they're discussing uh, solutions or strategies for black women and black communities. Those words have usually come from black women themselves. I'm sure it would surprise a lot of us if we really knew how many of the ideas we've encountered uh, that actually stem from the work of someone who wasn't acknowledged. And as unintentional as this might be sometimes, this is still a huge, a tangible phenomenon that happens large scale specifically to black women, black scholars. Combating this was the main idea of a manifesto created by DICE members, yourself included, called Citing is Political. If anyone wants to have a look at it, it will be linked below the podcast. So while black women will always be advocating for themselves, it's still only right that our work is seen as coming from us. So whether that's articles, research, or understanding the history of Ubuntu that goes across the board. So my question for you, Dr. Kenyon Jui, is how can we support and amplify the voice of Black women and their frames of living like Ubuntu? We can amplify and support the work of African women by changing the narrative that is perpetuated in the media and in documentaries and even in academic books. We need to write the history 
of Mekatiriri Wamenza, who was a Griyama woman from the Kenyan coast, we need to rewrite the history of Quinzinga of Angola. We need to rewrite the histories of Losa Parks and the ladies who did the mads that led to the space flight in the first place. We need to, to rewrite these stories, paint them on our buses, paint them on our school corridors. We need to put them in our shops. For example, women in, in, in Africa are the tea pickers, they are the coffee pickers, they are the cotton pickers, they are flower pickers. Women are not only cited, but their labor is not recognized. For example, when you go to a coffee shop, you don't see a label, a coffee label with a woman with a bag on her back picking coffee or tea. Instead, you have other names. What you will see in documentaries or on television is women with protruding bellies and children who are malnutritioned. And rarely do we ask the question, who is responsible for the climate change? Who supplies the guns? And all that. So we need to rethink these stories and tell them over and over. For example, in my works, which I have tried to write, I have written about a story of coffee time. Coffee time is my family experience in picking coffee as a child, my aunt, my grandfather, and my uncle. And I narrate all the events that were taking place during coffee time there and coffee time abroad. I've also tried to write a book on women and the informal sector as I saw women move to the central business district of Nairobi to occupy stalls that were being converted in from open plan shops. So we need to tell the stories differently. Even if they are not heard today, people might rediscover them in the past, in the future. Let's do our best. I think the story for African women is to do their best in whatever they are doing because that's the only way they will help the personal drive, the household drive, and the community drive. If you do your best, it doesn't matter whether you are recognized politically. What matters is that your goal has been achieved. Because all along, we have been trying to blend into the system and when we blend into the system, we get dissolved <laughs> and we lose our positionality.
So when you go out, as Sister Vea Blount says, come out into the mainstream, active and fully functioning. That is, be active and function fully so that you can do your best retelling our stories because our stories are what are going to be remembered maybe not today but in the future and our perception of our communities of ourselves that's what we remember that's what the world will remember it's all in the way that we tell stories and you're so right dr kenyan jewey that we need to tell our stories the way we want them to be remembered Thank you for that powerful reminder. That was so inspiring. As a final question, uh, if you would help us imagine a beautiful future with more Ubuntu, if our societies showed a little bit more of this humanity towards each other, how do you think this would affect our markets, our economies? How could this positively impact the way that we as a society currently view business, markets, money, and life overall? I think people generally be happier, they won't be angry, the society would be more equal, and business would be a way of life for everybody. What the youth in Europe and North America, they must realize that they are, they are very lucky. They have the infrastructure, good schools, good roads, they have water and electricity. They have a choice. But most of the African youth have no choice. And they can save the African youth by forming alliances. Show them that another world is possible. And they work together. And like the Safaricom signature tune says, beggar qua beggar, shoulder by shoulder, we work together to heal each other. So my parting shot is that we should work together, shoulder by shoulder, and realize the privileges of the past generations and not give up hope. If you imagine that uh, at the age of six, I was walking like six miles to go to school and I would cross rivers barefooted. So let's not give hope because um, we look forward to Europe and North America. There is life. There's resilience, there's hope. Absolutely. This is something really essential to maintain awareness of us living in Europe, North America, us living in the diaspora. We are so lucky. Uh, for a lot of us, I know for myself personally, it was our parents and our grandparents that sacrificed for us to have the lives and the futures that we have. In response, we can and we should offer our support, our solidarity by forming those alliances you spoke on. 
there's so much healing that needs to be done in the world and we can achieve it by learning about each other through even the smallest things like listening to podcasts like these just educating ourselves in any ways we can think of by listening when people share their stories their experiences their knowledge and in turn creating a world that we're proud of I hope that this conversation inspired all of our listeners to see themselves and future generations in a world with a more humane economy, perhaps inspired by Ubuntu. Thank you to all of our ambitious listeners and thank you again to Dr. Kenyon Jui for speaking with us today about Ubuntu and its role in the world's past, present, and future. Also, a huge thanks to her for her dedicated and zealous membership in the Dice Collective. To keep thinking with us, send us any questions, comments, or ideas you might have for us at Africana underscore economies on Instagram and Facebook and at Africana Economy on Twitter. The Diverse Economies for Youth podcast is made by youth for youth and made possible by funding from the Canada Research Chair for Africana Development and Feminist Political Economies at the University of Toronto Scarborough. I'm Serena Bahadur, and you can find me again next month on our podcast where we learn how to create a world that treats us as people instead of as profits. Thank you for listening, and until next time.